Man, it's so good to see you here. Thanks so much for being around today. Thanks for making local part of your Sunday. I do feel the need to just mention this just so uh, there's no questions later. If you see adults walking around in PJs today, there's good reason for it. Uh, we have an incredible kids ministry around here. Kids ministry, student ministry, we call that our next gen team. And today is PJ day for them. And uh, one of our values, obviously we want them to know the gospel. We want them to uh, be in love and to know the truth in God's word. But we also want our kids and students to have fun. And so as you see kids running around in PJs, as you see our volunteers walking around in PJs, don't think they're weird. Say thank you. That means they are pouring into those kids or pouring into those students. So uh, can we just say thank you to all of our PJ people today? You are awesome. Absolutely love that. Well, with Christmas obviously on our minds, let me talk a little bit about our Christmas Eve services coming up in just a few weeks. Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, so we've adjusted our service times to match a little bit more of a Sunday morning schedule. So 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m. Hope that you're there at one of those. Bring some friends, bring some family members, coworkers, neighbors, invite some folks to come and sit with you so we can celebrate the good news that brings great joy to all people. Now, if you call yourself like, man, I'm part of local, I'm part of the local church family, then I would ask of you, would you be willing to serve at one of those services? We've obviously added a service, so that means there's a lot of opportunities to direct traffic and serve coffee and hang out with our kids and make sure they hear the good news and welcome people in, help them find a seat. Uh, so if you can make that work with your schedule, we say that we'd love for you to attend a service with your friends and your family, and we'd love for you to serve at one of those services as well. So if that works out with you, uh, we'll need the help. And so we'd love to have you jump in and be part of our teams. And we have so much fun. Being part of our volunteer teams is an absolute blast. So here's how you can sign up if you want. The easy way is to go out those doors and look for the good old fashioned pen and paper. Uh, right to the right in the lobby, you'll see a place for you to write your name and email. Let us know what service you're available to serve at and we'll follow up with you, give you everything you need to know. If you wanna do it right there at your seat, that QR code that says scan me, there will be an option when you scan that that says volunteer on Christmas Eve. Click that little information. And again, let us know your service time and we'll get you plugged in. Uh, if you're worried that oh, I don't know what to do and I've never done this before, it's a piece of cake, I promise. We'll let you know what to do. We'll have our volunteer team uh, leads follow up with you, let you know what to do, when to show up. So much fun, you'll have a blast and you'll, you'll be able to be part of, not just attend, but you'll be able to be part of Christmas Eve. So would love to have you be part of that here in the next few weeks. As we kick off our new Bible teaching series, we're going to be in Luke. So if you have your Bible, would love for you to be there. Luke, we'll start in chapter one. And the way that we're going to spend the next, uh, Chris, this Christmas season together, the next four weeks, is we are just going to stay in the gospel of Luke. Luke chapters one and two uh, show us, give us the Christmas story from Luke's perspective. He's obviously the writer here. Uh, so let me just kind of give what he would call his introduction as to what he's doing, why he's writing this, and then what we are going to take away from it. Luke chapter one, verse one, we're told by Luke, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us, talking about all the news about Jesus and his crucifixion, his life, his resurrection, resurrection, and then uh, beginnings of the early church and the believers. Verse two, they used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. So they were hearing from the people that directly saw this and witnessed it. Verse three, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. Verse four, this is why he's writing this. So you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. 
So Luke, we know a little bit about Luke. We know that he's obviously the author of the gospel of Luke. He's also the author of Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts is an account of the acts of the early apostles, the beginnings of the church. And we're told by Luke that he gained this information, some from his own witness accounts that he saw with his own eyes. Others, he went and found the eyewitness, like who experienced this miracle and who heard Jesus say this and and where were you when Jesus did that? He gathers all these eyewitness accounts and he begins to put them into what we call the gospel of Luke. And he does all of that. Like why write? Because we have Matthew, we have Matthew's gospel, we have Mark's gospel, we have John's gospel. Why did Luke specifically, because each of those authors are telling the, the story and the ministry and the life of Jesus, but with a reasoning, Luke's reasoning is so that you can be certain of the truth, of the truth. Luke knew it was true. He witnessed many of this with his own eyes. He actually traveled around with Paul. In fact, if you were here uh, last week as we ended up our series on 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 at the very end, we are told by Paul, Paul says to Timothy, come and visit me, bring Mark. It's just me and Luke here. So Luke had traveled with Paul, had seen God do incredible things through the early church and through the believers. He had all these incredible conversations with eyewitness accounts, but he's writing this so that we would know the certainty of the truth. See, for many of us, the Christmas story can just be that. It's just the story. We know the story of Christmas. We know the characters of the Christmas story. We know about Christmas. But my hope and prayer for us over the next several weeks is that it's not just the story of Christmas, but through Luke's account, we will be certain of the truth of Christmas. What does it mean truly that Jesus came and was born to us? What is the good news that brings great joy for all people? It's a great story, but what's the truth that we can be certain of? Because it's not just a story. It is intended to make us certain in our hope, certain in our faith, because our faith is not just blind faith. Oftentimes that comes up. Some people are like, well, just believers of Jesus, Christians. It's just a blind faith. You just believe whatever's in that book. You just believe whatever, and it's a blind faith. I'm telling you, that's, that's not true at all. The Christian, the believer, the follower of Jesus does not have a blind faith. It's a faith that's based in fact, right? That's what Luke is getting at. What you've been taught, the faith that you have is not a blind faith. It is a faith that is based on fact. Now, is there steps of faith? Absolutely. Does it require us to have faith and to grow in our faith? Absolutely. But Christians, we do not have a blind faith. We have a faith that's built on truth. And Luke wants to make sure that we can be certain of that faith, be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So as we go through this Christmas season, don't just hear it through the lens of the Christmas story. Listen and view it through the lens of what is the truth that God wants me to be certain of. Let's pray and we'll jump in. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the truth that is in your word. I thank you so much that, that we have the opportunity to study this together. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of us specifically and individually? Would you open our eyes and hearts and ears to hear the truth from you? Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Uh, so my family and I, we traveled over Thanksgiving. It feels like Thanksgiving feels like forever ago at this point. Uh, but over Thanksgiving, we traveled. We go up to Indiana. We went down to Tennessee, then made our way back home. Um, and we've got traditions, just like you have traditions of things we do while we're on uh, Thanksgiving break and Thanksgiving vacation. One of those traditions is the family gingerbread house competition. Happens every year. And if you follow me on Instagram and social media, you know that we always ask you to vote on which one of these is going to win. We always split up boys versus girls. So, so me and my brother-in-law, we take all of our kids, all the guys, and, and my, my sister and my wife, they get together and they plan all this out. So we did this over Thanksgiving and th- we get it in the kit. I don't know anybody that does a gingerbread house without the kit. So we get the kit and that's what our kit looked like. We did the Elf on a Shelf kit this year. And you probably can't read at the very bottom, but inside this kit is everything everything you could possibly need to make a successful gingerbread house. I mean, it comes with the pieces. It's got the roof. It's got all the sides. It's got all the candy. It's got all the, all the extra uh, pieces that you can decorate with. It comes with the icing and the bag to squeeze out the ice. Like it's got everything. And so what we do, we split apart. We each have our own boxes and then we start planning right? Me and my brother and all the boys, all right, what are we going to do? How do we want to make this look? Here's what the picture looks like. How do we make it look like that? So we kind of scheme, we plan, we come up with this great idea. The girls on their team, they do the exact same thing. They're planning. They, the kids start raiding the kitchen because they're going to bring in some like extra things. Like, well, let's get powdered sugar, make it look like snow. We need to go get some extra candy. And so they come up with these great ideas, great plans based on the box. And then we start putting them together. And as we put them together, this is what they end up looking like by the end when we get it all together. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just a little different from the picture on the box. Just slightly. Now, I wish I had. So we took these pictures and we had people vote on them and stuff. Uh, So we take this picture. I wish I had a picture five minutes later because within five minutes of me taking this picture, the roof started caving in. The walls started to fall apart. I mean, it was a mess. We just had to end up throwing them all away. Um, But I look at that and I was like, well, what happened? Like we had everything we needed. We had the picture on the box. We had the candy. We had the icing. We had all the things that were required to make this beautiful, picture-perfect gingerbread house. But for some reason, the execution was lacking. Not sure why. We couldn't go from what was on the box and in the box to what was reality. And I look at that and I think, how often are we trying to build our lives according to the picture on the box? Right, we just got everything that we need. We got everything that we're supposed to have. And we see that picture on the front of the box, like, oh, that's what my life's supposed to look like. That's what my life is gonna look like. I've got all the ingredients. I got everything that I need. I just gotta put it together. And as you've started to put together your life, over time, you start to look at what you have and what you thought you were going to have. And you start asking some questions. There might even be some frustrations at this point. Like, this isn't what it's supposed to look like. This isn't how it was supposed to happen. I thought it was going to look like this. Instead, I've got that. And it starts falling apart. And it's not according, here's the phrase, to your plan. Man, we plan hard. We plan well. We are great planners in a lot of ways. But we're planning according to what's on the front of the box. So what happens when that picture on the box is not God's plan for you? What happens when my plans are different than God's plans? 
What happens when those start to feel like they are in conflict? That's part of the Christmas story, is we have our plans, we have our thoughts, we have our ideas, we have our expectations, we have our life planned on how we want it to look and what we want it to become. And God says, no, that's not my plan for you. That's not my plan for the world. How do we wrestle in that tension when our plans are not God's plans? That's what we are going to see at the very beginning of Luke's gospel as he begins to tell us the Christmas story. Luke will start much earlier than Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and Jesus being born in the manger. He starts before all of that actually happens, but it is still very much part of the Christmas story. Let's look at it together. Luke chapter one, starting in verse five. Here's what Luke begins to lay out. He writes, when Herod, was, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. That all sounds great so far, doesn't it? Man, what a, what a wonderful life. You've got Zechariah, you've got Elizabeth. They loved God, they served God, they obviously knew God. In fact, both were from the priestly line of Aaron. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later. Zechariah served within the temple. He was a priest. Like that sounds like almost a picture perfect life. Sounds like that is a picture right off the front of the box. But verse seven changes that just a little bit. Verse seven, we're told they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. That last part's not meant to be disrespectful. Like, man, what do you have against old people? No, the, the idea there is, and that ship has sailed. <laughs> like, there is no hope. They are unable to have children and that's not going to happen in, in, in anybody's story or anybody's imagination. That changes a little bit, doesn't it? Here's Elizabeth, here's Zachariah. Again, godly people knew God, loved God, but their life did not look like the front of that box. Their life was not what they maybe had hoped for, dreamed for, planned on, or even prayed for. And they built this life and it wasn't starting to look like the box. And again, we go back to that question, what do we do when our plans don't align with God's plan? That tension, that emotion, that wrestling that we are gonna feel. What I love about Zechariah and Elizabeth is they give us an excellent example of what to do in that, in that tension. They say, that's not the way it's going to work out. That's not our plan, but we're going to trust God's plan. Notice that they continue to be faithful. They continue, as Luke said, to be righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They continue to be faithful. They continued in their obedience. They continued to trust God, to serve God, to love God. They continued in those. So often it feels like, we don't necessarily say this, but it almost feels like we come to God with a posture of negotiating. We almost come to him and say, okay, God, here's the deal. Check out this box. This is what my life needs to look like. You see the picture on the front of this box? This is what my life should look like. So God, let's make a deal. If you will give me the life on the front of the box, then I will absolutely give you my life and I will love you, and I will follow you, and I will serve you, and I will give to you, and I will, and we fill in the blanks with all of our promises. But God, in order for me to do that for you, you need to give me the life that's on the front of that box. And then if it doesn't happen, we get mad at God, don't we? Like I said, I know we don't say that we negotiate with God often, 
But the fact that when things don't go the way we plan or the way we want, if our first reaction is to become angry at God, that anger is coming from a negotiation. That anger is coming from, well, God, I was supposed to have that picture-perfect life, and I'm not having that, so you didn't do something right. You didn't hold up your end of the bargain is basically what we're telling God. And Zachariah and Elizabeth don't do that. Their relationship with God is not contingent on their plans going the way that they planned or their life working out the way that they were hoping and dreaming and praying and expecting. They give us a beautiful example of even in the midst of our lives not looking like the box, to still follow God, trust God, love God, serve God. Verse eight, here's what happens next. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Little context, let's make sure we're understanding what's happening here. Uh, this is talking about John that we would then call John the Baptist. The whole purpose of John's role, we'll talk about this in a little bit, is to come before Jesus and to get people's hearts ready for the coming Messiah. And so that's what, we'll know his name is Gabriel here in just a little bit, but that's what Gabriel the angel is presenting to Zechariah. Here's what's about to happen and you get to be part of this. A few other things to notice. First one, angels tend to always start with don't be afraid, which makes total sense. We see it with the shepherds. We see it with Mary. We're going to see it uh, all throughout scripture. An angel shows up. It freaks you out a little bit. So the first response is always don't be afraid. But the second response, the second thing that the angel says is super fascinating. Don't be afraid. The next part, the angel says right afterwards, God has heard your prayer. Oh, I love that. Let that sink in. God has heard your prayer. The God of the universe has heard your prayer. The God of all creation has heard your prayer. Your creator is listening to you. So often when we don't get the picture perfect life based on the box, instead we have something that feels like it's falling apart we tend to say maybe something like, well, God, where are you? Maybe we blame him and say it's your fault. Maybe we just say, well, then do you even care? Are you even listening to me? Are you even there? I love that the angel comes to Zachariah and says, God has heard your prayers. God has been listening to you. Does that mean he listens and gives us whatever we want? No. But does that mean he is there and present and active and listening? Yes. I mean, let's talk about prayer. I mean, don't, don't miss what the purpose of prayer is. So often we kind of just come into this idea of prayer of, well, the purpose of prayer is for me to ask God what I want and then he gives me what I want. Like that's the way this is supposed to work. Like we kind of have that fall, that misconception, that false idea of that's what prayer is. That's not what prayer is intended to be for. Is that an aspect of prayer? Of course. 
We see that God is described as a heavenly father, a good father that wants to give us what we need, that will take care of us. But that is not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to help us have a deep and meaningful and and personal relationship with him. And if you're going to have a deep and meaningful and personal relationship with somebody, you have to have dialogue. You have to have communication. You have to have a conversation. I mean, could you imagine having a close friend that you never talked to? A spouse that you never spoke to. Kids that the only time that you had any interaction verbally is when they wanted something from you. That doesn't sound right at all. That never happens. (laughs) Right? Isn't it funny though, even when they do, it's like, I want, I want. It's almost like you just want to say no just to say no. I'm not saying God does that, but you never know. The intent, the purpose of prayer is to create a relationship. So keep praying. We can't use the, well, God didn't answer this the way that I wanted. This is what my life's supposed to look like. Instead, it looks like this. And prayer doesn't seem to be working. So I'll just stop. That's not the purpose. The purpose is my life feels like it's falling apart. So God, I need to talk with you. I need you to listen to me. I need to just pour out my heart to you. The prayer is not God fix it. The prayer is God change my heart. The prayer is God give me the strength because I don't have it on my own. The prayer is God, would you put other people in my life to help me and come alongside me? The prayer is God, would you put me in other people's lives that because I'm going through this now, I have the opportunity to help somebody else. So God, would you use me in my situation, in my story, in my circumstance to help somebody else? God, would you do that? Would you orchestrate that so I get to be a light in a dark place and to help other people? The prayer is, God, will you show yourself? Will you reveal your power to me? God, would you show me how you're growing me and how you're teaching me? Would you show me how the truths of your word are coming to be true? Those are the prayers that grow our relationship with him, not just give me and fix it. So keep praying. If you find yourself looking at your life and looking at the cover of the box and they don't match and you're ready to give up on praying, could I like plead with you? Keep praying not because your life overnight is gonna look like that, but because he hears you and he wants to hear from you. And maybe, just maybe, he might do a change in you where you stop looking at the cover of the box and say, you know what, that's not the goal anyway. And maybe you even start to pray, God, what do you want? God, what is your plan? What is your purpose? What is your will? God, would you realign me to match you? Change me from the inside out. Keep praying because God listens to you. Now let's talk about some of the details. I'm gonna go like Old Testament Bible nerd on you just for a second. Uh, This is gonna be helpful though, so stay with me. Luke says that one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week, as was the custom. Luke tends to give us some good details, quite a bit of details of what the priests were doing and what the roles in the temple were. So let me not just help you understand, but I want you to see the scope of this. So for the Jews, uh, coming out of the Old Testament, the Jews could only, a Jew could only be a priest if they were a descendant from Aaron. So think back to like Moses and Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. There's a whole reason and story behind that. We don't have time to go into it. But Aaron was the first priest. Then all of his descendants were then of the priestly order. There were so many of them that then they divvied them up into 24 different districts, divisions, or orders. Luke uses the word orders there. 
So in order to be a priest, you need to be a descendant of Aaron. And then you were in, based on who's, which descendant you are from or part of, which line of Aaron you're from, you would be a one of these 24 divisions as a priest. Of those 24 divisions, they would all rotate temple responsibilities throughout the year. The temple had very specific rules on burning this incense and, and, and doing this sacrifice and placing these things in the temple and these prayers were to be prayed. So a lot of duties to do, but there was a lot more people. So when it was Zachariah's time, he was part of the eighth order. And so as it's his turn to be there that week, there's all these people in his division and they would, scripture uses this word quite a bit of casting lots. Best way to describe that would be like draw straws. Right? It is an impartial way to make a decision. So they basically, all the priests would draw straws to see who is the one that's gonna go in and light the incense. A lot of people, very few jobs to do, so they would have an impartial way of divvying out all of these jobs. So I say all that because think of the scope, right? Out of all of the priests and out of all of the divisions, out of all of the weeks to be on duty, out of all of the people, all the priests, part of Zachariah's division, for Zachariah to be the one person picked at that specific time and place to go into the temple, and that's where he meets this angel. What a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, talk about perfect timing. It was perfect timing, though. And that's an aspect of the truth that Luke is wanting us to understand. God's timing is always perfect. Always perfect. And this might be one of those that we struggle with. Maybe you struggle with this even more of, man, forget the picture on the box. Like, God, you just aren't keeping up with me. My pace and your pace seem way out of sync. And I could understand that from Zachariah's perspective. Remember even how Luke described the situation with he and his wife. They are unable to have children and they were very old. So God, if you were gonna give me this news, man, I needed this a while ago. Not right now, too little, too late. Oftentimes we feel like God's timing is way off, but I'm telling you, based on the truth of God's word, his timing is always perfect. It's not the coincidence. It's him orchestrating. We get a beautiful glimpse into just how masterful God orchestrates his timing and his plans. Now, Gabriel, the angel, is going to start to give these plans to Zechariah. Just a little glimpse of him. I'm not going to tell him everything, but he's going to give him a glimpse into, so here's what happens next. Don't be afraid. God listens to your prayers. Here's what he's going to do. His timing is perfect, but his plan is also perfect. As we read through this next section, look for all of the, wor all of the will words. I will, he will, you will. Listen for the will, W-I-L-L, -L, and we'll talk about it. Verse 14. The angel said, you will, there's your first one, you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or any other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Do you notice all the wills? It's a bunch of them. If you count the one where the angel said, you will have a child, and you're to name him John, there are 10 words of will in that small section. And what that points to, what the angel is doing here is, here's what will happen. It's not just like theoretically this might happen. It's this will 
happen. And here's the beautiful part. It's this will happen, and you get to be part of it, Zachariah. You and your wife get to be involved in this. It's not just making an announcement of something that will happen or might happen. This is happening, and you get to be part of it. It's not just an announcement of news. It's an involvement in God's plan. Isn't that fascinating and just wonderful to be able to understand that God invites us, includes us, involves us in his incredible and perfect plan? He's basically, the angel's basically looking at Zachariah and said, Zachariah, here's what's gonna happen. You've been praying for the Messiah. God's people have been waiting for the Messiah and that's gonna happen, but here's your part in it. You and your wife get to have a boy and you're gonna name him John. And here's John's part of this plan. John is gonna help other people get ready for the Messiah. He's gonna pave the way for Jesus. But you know your role, Zachariah and Elizabeth, your role is to help prepare John. What a beautiful way to be involved in God's plan. What's the truth that Luke wants us to know? That God most certainly has a plan and he involves us in his plan. He includes us in his plan. He invites us to participate in his plan plan. This plan was not just a a random thought by God, though. It wasn't God winging it. It wasn't like he went to Gabriel and said, all right, who's in the temple today? Zachariah, all right, how do we make this work? Let's try to, anybody have any ideas on how to like make this whole John the Baptist thing work? No, this was a plan that God had long before, long before Zachariah and Elizabeth were ever even born. In fact, the the prophecy or the promise of Jesus, the Messiah coming, that happens way back in Genesis. Read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you're going to see the prophecy of Jesus there. The prophecy of John the Baptist happens 400 years before Zachariah and Elizabeth were ever born. Let me show it to you. This is fascinating. Malachi, I'll put it up on the screen for you if you don't want to turn there. Malachi chapter 3. There's actually another prophecy later on. We're going to focus on the one in chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Look. I'm sending my messenger, that's, re, that's regarding John the Baptist's role to go ahead of Jesus. I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's army. That is the prophecy, that is the promise of John the Baptist 400 years before Zachariah and Elizabeth were ever born. God has a plan. It may not be your plan. It probably is not your plan, but he has a plan. He involves us in his plan and his timing is always perfect. Every single time, even when it doesn't feel like it, his timing is always perfect. So here's the next part. Now, this obviously would make sense. Um, After you hear all this news, imagine you're Zachariah, you hear all this news, you hear the plan, how you're part of it, and then you have a response back. This response back is what we would all be thinking anyway. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how, say how with me, how, because we all want to know that. God, I hear your plan. I, I can read your plan. I hear what you say about your, from your word about your purpose and your will and your intent and your design, but how in the world is this ever going to work out? So Zechariah says that. How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is, a, is also well along in years. Time out just for a second. Husbands, listen up. If you even dare to talk about the age of your wife, if you even want to go down that road, this is the way you do it. You can tell his experience as a husband, right? I'm sure at some point he said, yeah, me and my wife are both old. And then he never said that phrase again. Instead, he says, quote, that lives forever in scripture, 
I'm old. We can say that about ourselves. But if you want to talk about your wife, you say that she is, quote, well along in her years. That's the right way to say it. That should save you some heartache, some grief a little bit later, save you a little bit of money on counseling. You should probably still go to counseling, but it won't take as long. He wants to know how. How is this going to work? How is this ever going to happen? It doesn't make sense to me. Right? And that's the tension. Okay, God, I, I, I believe you have a plan. But how is this going to work? I, believe your, your t- I want to believe your timing's perfect, but I'm not seeing this. Zachariah's not saying these words, but you know what he's really asking? Can I trust God? That's the question. Can I trust God? What's interesting is who Zachariah is. Again, remember, he's a priest. He loves God. He knows God. He believes in God. He is righteous in God's eyes. He obeys God. He serves God. And he has that question. Yeah, but can I trust him? I know him, but I don't know if I can trust him. I believe him. I just don't know if I can trust him. Sometimes maybe we even say like, yeah, 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 I totally trust God. I trust God with this and with that and over here. But, oh man, I don't know about this one though. This one seems a little too big. I don't quite understand this one as much. This one I can't figure out. So I know him. I believe him. I love him. Can I trust him? That's the question that Zachariah is internally wrestling with. Gabriel's going to help him with that question. He's going to respond back. I love this response. This should terrify you. This absolutely should terrify us and absolutely would terrify Zachariah. Verse 19, then the angel said, man, you just got to picture this, right? He's in this little, almost like tent of, a, of an area of like a closet, burning incense. Angel shows up. They're having this awesome conversation about how God's going to bless him and what he's going to do through the Messiah. And then like, yeah, but I don't know how this is going to happen. Valid question. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. I mean, there's so much in his response. I love that he doesn't really explain anything. He just says, oh no, I'm Gabriel. And I've stood in the very presence of God. These are not my words. These are the words that God told me to tell you. This came from God, not me. That should carry a lot more weight, right? People's voices in our lives carry different weight depending on how much we trust them. I said over Thanksgiving, we traveled over Thanksgiving up to visit family and then back down. Uh, It is a very well-known fact. I don't even deny this anymore. I just embrace it and own it. Uh, It is a well-known fact in my family. I am terrible with directions. I have zero, zero ability to get around without my wife or Siri. Those are the two ways that I can get around town. Like even like I made a wrong turn yesterday, like in Forsyth County, I made a wrong turn. And so it's just, my wife laughs at me. She's like, ah, that's funny. You really don't know where you're going. Um, And that's very true. And my kids know this and they like to poke fun at me as well. So we were driving up to visit family, a route that we take all the time that should be very familiar with me. We hit a lot of traffic and it almost feels like they're shutting down the interstate. So we get off of an unfamiliar exit. And all of a sudden, my kids start putting their iPads down, which is a miracle in and of itself for a car ride for us. So they start to notice something's not quite right. Dad should not be turning off this exit. So they ask a very common question. Dad, do you know where you're going? And I respond, absolutely. Have no clue. No clue whatsoever. I just know the rest of the cars are also getting off on this exit and hopefully we end back on 75 at some point. So I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally know where we're going. I'm fine. I got this. 
My kids immediately, without skipping a beat, hey, mom, do you know where we're going? And Becky just like, she's like half asleep, half paying attention to me, so we get to where we're supposed to go. She just quietly says, yes. And they buy it. They totally don't question her. They don't need an explanation. They're like, well, like, it doesn't seem like we know, or like, where are we going, or what's happening, or what's going on? All Becky has to say is, yes, I know where we're going. And they're like, all right, sounds good. We're back to our iPads. We trust you. Definitely not dad, but we trust you, mom. Right? It's, we both said the same thing. That's interesting. I said, yes, I know where we're going. They didn't believe me. Becky says yes, and they have no problems. They have no worries. They have no concerns because they trust her in driving a whole lot more than me, which is smart. When it comes to following God, you're not just following the plan. You're following him. You're not just trusting the plan. You're trusting him. When you don't trust the plan, could you trust God? When you don't understand how it's all going to work out, can you at least trust the one that says it will? Going back to how Luke began, I want you to be certain of the truth that I'm telling you, the truth that you've learned, the truth that you've heard. Our faith is not blind faith. Our faith is built on the truth of God's word and his faithfulness. We know the truth, his truth. He said it, so we trust him. We know his faithfulness because we can look back and we see the faithfulness again and again and again. Our faith is not blind faith, but can we get rid of the picture on the box and can we trust where he's leading us? Even when we don't understand, can we trust the one that said it? Do you know what happens when we do that? I mean, those are steps of faith and trusting Jesus more. Do you know what happens when we trust Jesus more? The result is joy. When we put our faith in him and we trust him more and more, the result is joy. Gabriel even alluded to that. He said, you will have great joy and gladness. And look, many will rejoice at his birth. If Zachariah and Elizabeth could trust God with this, joy's on the other side. When everybody else gets to see the faithfulness of God, then everybody else gets to experience joy. There's a, an article that came out of the, um, the um, online magazine of Desiring God, and the, uh, the writer said it this way, thought it was brilliant, loved his words here. He wrote, our joy in God is bound up with our trust in God. The two cannot be separated, not ever. Trust is the backbone of joy, and joy is the outflow of trust in one who is fully trustworthy. We cannot separate our joy from trust. If you do not trust God, you will not find joy. But you will find joy by trusting in him and putting your faith in him. The psalmist in Psalm 28 says almost the exact same thing. Verse seven, the Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. Trust. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. My heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. If you were to keep reading through the rest of Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, you'll see that that's what he does. When John is born, he bursts out in praise and gives thanksgiving and actually writes an incredibly wonderful uh, song if you read through it at the end of chapter one. But it's all a praise to God because of the trust they put in him. So as we go through the Christmas season and as we allow Luke to help us identify the truths of the Christmas story, for this section, 
The Christmas story reminds us of this truth, that God has a plan and he can be trusted. God has a plan and you can trust him. God has a plan and even when we don't understand, we put our trust in him. So you might know God, you might love God, you might serve God, but do you trust God? That's what I would pray you would begin to wrestle with. There's a picture on the front of the box that we all want, and the reality doesn't look that way. Are we angry, frustrated, bitter, or are we trusting in him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the truth that we have in your word. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to be with us, to teach us, to walk alongside of us, to help us understand what it means to have a a real and deep and meaningful relationship with you. God, I would pray that through this Christmas season, we would be focused on the truth of the Christmas story. Not just the story, but the truth that comes from your story and the truth that changes everything. As we go through the rest of our plans, may we recognize these are just our plans. So God, we surrender our plans to you. Would you realign our hearts with you? Would you align our our thoughts with you? Bring us closer to you, especially in this season. In Jesus' name, amen.